The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. This has happened uh, a couple times before, so uh, thank you for bearing with us. But as we were winding down our mailbag, news broke that uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska, the game will not be played after the the Badgers have paused all team activities due to an elevated number of COVID-19 cases. We knew the Graham Mertz news, uh, which we'll discuss here in a little bit. We knew uh, that Chase Wolf was reported to be positive as well. Wisconsin coach Paul Christ announced that he has tested positive for COVID-19. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to tackle the breaking news of the day here. Then we will catch uh, the full mailbag. Lots of fun stuff on the other side of that. So uh, enjoy a robust breaking news mailbag episode of the Cover 3 podcast. Hey, did you guys see the news is breaking that Wisconsin, Nebraska is canceled? Uh, that sucks. I do not see it. Oh, Paul Christ is positive. Yep. Wow. Ooh. Adam Rittenberg, Paul Christ's PCR test came back positive on Tuesday. He informed the team and staff earlier today. Christ will be out 10 days. Second Big Ten head coach test positive. So, and the Big Ten has no bye weeks. So, I don't know if we're going to be able to make this up. I mean, the Big Ten has just totally bungled this. I mean, this is, this is you know what, like, uh, this is so frustrating. I mean, this is going to be such a mess, such a cluster, because they just, they, they couldn't figure out a way to get this done. And now 21 days for a positive test, no bye weeks. I'm not saying that like I'm not make casting judgment on whatever their medical and testing protocols are. That's fine. Whatever you feel like you got to do, you got to do. But you had an opportunity to put these things in place in time to create some buffer for you to get this season done in a in some sort of way. This is the first cancellation. Who knows how many we're gonna have. We've been joking about it, but not really joking. I think I fully expect to for Ohio State to run into the Big Ten championship game, but sitting there at five and zero at best. 
Like, that's my expectation. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they get eight games in. But um, I think this is going to be the reality of the Big Ten. And I, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. But it feels like this is just going to be the beginning. Wisconsin is uh, as this. It takes the same path as uh, Florida. It takes the same path as some of these other teams where you, it's just concerning because it's a reminder that you're dealing with spread. Like you're de- like you can put in protocols, but if if we get one positive, then we get a couple more positives. Then it's the coach, and it's like, well, there's uh there is really not a uh, there, there's not a good way to to do this. There's not a way to avoid having the kind of positive tests. And when you've got the limitations that are in place, remember we got our green, orange, and red status, where if five percent positive of a team is going to lead to a cancellation of a game. Five percent, like given given the way, at least it's gone through the quarterback room, and now we even reached the head coach, and and we're not going to get a confirmation, I don't think, from Wisconsin on how many numbers, but the protocols are set 12. up that it's twelve, six players, six coaches. There you go. I mean, it was just like a like there is going to be uh, just a very very quick domino effect if like, if we get a couple of players, you're just going to assume that there's no way that they're going to be able to play the next game and then the protocol is going to begin to get them back on the field. I feel like every team, unless you're somehow able to go through this where if you even get any positives, it is an extremely isolated and limited case. I don't know. It's, it's wild reacting here in real time because I thought that because we didn't have the contact tracing protocols, we were going to avoid some of this like mass, like player, um, like unavailability that like all of a sudden there would be one positive test on Charlotte's offensive line. And then all of a sudden Will Healy's coming out and he's saying like, look, because of contact tracing, we don't have an offensive line and we've got to cancel our game. We got to postpone our game. This is not contact tracing players getting taken out of the lineup. This is just positive tests. It's a, uh, it's a sobering reminder of, uh, of where we're at. But to your point, the threshold is so low in terms of what what has to hit for a, uh, a a team to be put out of commission, that it's just not really is not really feasible. Um, like if you get one, that's what I'm saying. It's so low. If you get one, it seems almost like an inevitability. You're going to roll off five or six more, and then all of yeah. a sudden you're you're basically at five percent. It sucks. Everything sucks. No. Um. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, Barton. I just, this is probably going to be the first of quite a few because it's it's hard to imagine that we're going to be able to get through all this without a bunch more teams getting busted. So, uh, I guess we put this at the front of the podcast. I don't know if we throw an emergency signal on this, but uh, I feel like it's the biggest story, right? Yeah, for sure. We shouldn't we shouldn't make the listeners go through. Uh, all the Steely Dan talk just to get to uh, our conversation <laughs> on the biggest story of the day. So listeners, yeah, I, feel, I promise you'll enjoy the rest of the podcast. <laughs> I feel bad for Coco. Who's going to have to figure out the video editing part of it, moving this to the front and then bringing in Danny and putting in Barton and then taking out Danny and then putting Barton back. in. <laughs> Listen, knowing having been exposed to our listeners, musical taste, I'm not so sure Steely Dan isn't the most important thing to them and that that conversation might need to go first. We got a bunch of damn Steely Dan fanatics. They could care less about Big Ten football if they got a chance to hear some Steely Dan talk.
mailbag coming up next. Uh, we will keep you posted on all the latest. Again, the headline is that Wisconsin and Nebraska will not be played after the Badgers have paused all team activities. Uh, Tom, you said six players, six coaches are the reports and that hits the threshold and among the coaches includes Wisconsin coach Paul Christ, who did announce himself that this morning I received a, a news. I had tested positive via PCR test and for my staff, I'm isolated at home. I had not been experiencing any sy- symptoms and feel good as of this morning. Uh, coach Christ, we hope that uh, you continue to be asymptomatic and uh, get back to full recovery soon. All right. Giddy up. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. Barton Simmons will be joining us shortly. Thanks to all of you that are watching on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Cover 3 if you want that multi-platform excellence. And, uh, and gentlemen, guess what? We added another platform. All full video episodes are available through the CBS Sports app on your OTT device. So whether you got it hooked up, you know, I know everybody's watching CBS Sports HQ on your CBS Sports app on that Apple TV or that Roku. And so now within that CBS Sports app that you've got hooked up to the big screen, you can get the full video episodes of the Cover 3 podcast. So uh, listen. This is going to be uh, a great next step because you can watch us on your 65-inch. Heck, you can put us on your projector. You've always said, hey, does Tom Fernelli look like Mr. Peanut Butter? No, he's beautiful. Mr. Peanut Butter doesn't even do him justice. Uh, Very excited about today's episode because it is the mailbag episode, the return of the big old bag of mail. Reminder to those of you who are new to the operation, the best way to get in the mailbag, the five-star mailbag, is to go wherever you listen to the Cover 3 podcast, Apple Podcasts, and the like, and leave a five-star review. And, you know, leave five stars. The review can be whatever. I mean, you could literally say whatever you want, but then trash include Canel. Yeah, it's just trash, trash, yeah. trash <laughs> Canel. As long as there's five stars, you can do that. And then uh, in that, you will add a question. We will put it in the big old bag of mail. And if we don't get to it today, and listen, the response was fantastic. Uh, then we will get to it in a future mailbag episode. We will also call for them on Twitter from time to time. Follow the show at Cover 3 Podcast, and uh, we will uh, pull a couple from there as well. Uh, Before we jump into the big old bag of mail, uh, we started the Monday show discussing uh, Graham Mertz and going to Chase Wolf. It now looks like uh, we might be all the way down to Danny Vanderboom, the fourth string quarterback for Wisconsin, because Dennis Dodd, among others, has confirmed a 21-day absence for Graham Mertz. Uh, Chase Wolf, I've not seen the further reporting to confirm that he is also going to be out for the 21-day Big Ten protocol. But I mean, honestly, for this week's purposes, it looks like the game against Nebraska itself might even be uh, in jeopardy. So stay tuned there. Don't, I know Tom, you've got a, an early plus 11 locked in. So if mm-hmm. the game happens, you're, you're sitting pretty, but we, you know, TBD on that. Um, you know, what's, what is this? Has this like, you know, changed your perspective? Yes, for Wisconsin, but even for the entire Big Ten West. Like, I feel like there's other teams in the Big Ten West that are, are looking at this and maybe have more of a shot to be able to to wind up in the top spot with Wisconsin's quarterback issues, with Minnesota, uh, you know, stumbling a little bit out the gates. Is this division wide open now? I, I don't. I think it was already wide open. 
honestly. I mean, first of all, going from nothing against Graham Mertz, but going from Graham Mertz to Danny Vandenboom is a huge upgrade in name, at least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, Graham Mertz looked spectacular in that opener on Friday night, but it's still Wisconsin. And I don't think that, I think that while he raised their ceiling, he didn't really do anything to their floor. Wisconsin is still Wisconsin. It's going to do what it's going to do. And I think that whether it's Vandenboom or Wolf or Mertz or Cone, they're more than comfortable just handing the ball off 30 times a game and then, you know, taking what they can get in the play action off that and grinding out games and winning with their defense. So I don't think the division is any more open. I think what Mertz's absence would do if it was longer than three weeks would be, it would hurt Wisconsin's chances of maybe competing in the big 10 championship. If it gets there, as far as, you know, having that kind of passing game and that aerial threat that they really don't have, as far as we know with these other guys. So I think that's where it hurts their ceiling. But as far as the West, I, I don't think a whole lot changes. No. I mean, I, I think that Wisconsin's more vulnerable, but Mertz was already their backup QB. So it's like, how much more vulnerable are they? And, you know, one game was great, but, do we know that Mertz was going to be like that every week? I don't know. I guess we're going to have to wait to find out now. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, let's tone down the Graham Mertz for Heisman or he's a future number one pick talk. Because, I mean, it was. And that's what happens. Like, the first time we've seen him, we're all excited. But then you have to do remember who the opponent was. Like, if he goes out and does this against a Michigan or, you know, a, a top team in the Big Ten, then it's a little bit of a different conversation. So I also found it. So do you guys realize he can come back for the Michigan game? Because 21 days starts from the day of the first test, which are the I, I just I was talking to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN this morning, and he said that because the game was on Friday, oh. that technically the three-week window is the Friday before the Michigan game. So and and I, and apparently he can come back and practice with the team after 14 days, but he can't play for another seven. There's just some real convoluted things that are going on with the protocols. But ultimately, they might get him back for the Michigan game. That aside, so I was looking up some stuff on Danny Vandenboom. Like like let's find out like who is this guy? Is he, is he like some scrub? Because trust me, there have been some guys on depth charts four and five down. I had him at Florida State. Don't want to call it any names. And you're like, I don't know how this guy played in high school. Like, is that the case? No, he's or Gatorade is, Player of the Year. This guy is like right. cheese so and beer bread. Yeah. So that's why he was a 67% completion guy in high school. He had 52 touchdowns. He's like, he's not a slouch. It's not like this guy's going to come in and you're going to have to hide him. You know what I think he looks like? A lot of Wisconsin quarterbacks that we've seen <laughs> the last decade. So I think they can get through these next two games. And maybe even Michigan, if they get Graham Mertz back from Michigan, I think that's ideally the best case scenario. But then you're still dealing with a quarterback who only has one start, and it was awesome, but it's going to be against a Michigan team that'll be much tougher than Illinois. So I still think Wisconsin, I like them to win the West, but it's pretty wide open too. Uh, I love love the difference in protocols though, by the way, not just from league to league, but from sport to sport in that Graham Mertz can't practice for 14 days, can't play for 21 days. And in Major League Baseball, you get to play for eight innings, and then they remove you, and then you get to celebrate <laughs> on the field. <laughs> yeah, that, well, technically, that it, wasn't officially following the protocols. Just so we're all clear. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, uh, that was that was a graduation night violation of the code of conduct, where it's like, yeah. what are you gonna do? What it felt like though, I don't want to get us too off topic, but it was kind of like, eh, it's the last game of the season. Who cares? Uh, you know what it was like? It was like Odell Beckham handing out cash in the LSU locker room. Like, you're yeah. not allowed to do that, but he's just going to do it anyway and say, I'll deal with it later. <laughs> um, 
uh, our colleague uh, NFL insider Jonathan Jones and I were texting on the morning of the Alabama Georgia game, and this was uh, about Nick Saban, and he said that he just imagined that you know the scene when there's a Supreme Court decision and all the interns come sprinting out of the building all at once. Those were yeah. Alabama interns with like test samples, like going to the chopper, getting it to Birmingham. Like that's what we're gonna have here uh, in Madison, where it's like we're sitting here on the day of Wisconsin, Michigan. We're waiting to see if like everything tests out and everything's all good and, uh, and he'll end up getting cleared potentially. So, uh, that's good information from, uh, from Danny Cannell via Adam Rittenberg, I guess earlier today on the radio yeah, show, on the radio show. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Excellent. Welcome, uh, Barton to the show here, uh, who joins us just a smidge late on uh, driver duty this morning, but I do want to notice his attire and this is why you do have to go watch on YouTube, uh, to see what the different looks are. Because I, I swear, I thought you were the dude from 16 Candles, Molly Ringwald's like, like you got the, the pink polo underneath another button down. I think his dude was Jack or Jake. I think it was, maybe it was Jake, but you look like the dude from 16 Candles this morning. No, n- none of us are old enough to have watched 16 Candles. <laughs> <laughs> Why you got to throw shade at my I have age? No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll have to send I, I you remember some the movie. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. that that's I'm the same age as you, Barton. So. <laughs> It's the 1995 <laughs> ACC player of the year, Danny Cannell. Out yeah, here. Drop <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's jump into the big old bag of mail. Again, thank you to all of you who, uh, who made some of your uh, submissions already when we decided to call for them. The mailbag is open. We're going to continue to go to this as a, as a somewhat regular, if not weekly feature uh, of the show once again. So again, thank you to those of you who reached out. This question comes from Matt. Matt asks, do you think coaching makes a bigger difference in college where there can be big discrepancies in talent or the NFL where talent is more equally distributed? I think his hunch is probably right. Um, You know, if you're an outstanding recruiter, you can have a talent edge in college that can hide deficiencies in coaching where the NFL, because of the parity, you got if you're not a good coach, you'll get exposed really fast, you know, and your coaches will see through you. So I do, I think that's the kind of the the gist of the question where I think coaching X and O's matters more in the NFL. Not to say it doesn't matter in college football, but I think if you're an outstanding recruiter, if you're an outstanding rah-rah guy, you can get guys fired up, amped up every day, like every Saturday, like that helps. And you maybe don't have to be the the best play caller, play designer, in-game adjuster, decision maker, you can mask some of that where you'll get exposed in the NFL. Uh, yeah, I think they're like different sports almost because they're, they're, they're totally like, I, I think when you, when, with, with coaches that are all about like coaching in the, the most literal sense of it, I feel like the ultimate achievement is being a great NFL coach because that's all you're doing is you're just coaching, you're scheming. You got a bunch of guys who aren't that much different than the other guys you're playing. How can you make your guys, how can you give your guys that slight edge? And so, but the reason I think that they're almost different sports is because talent acquisition is such a big part of of winning. And that part of it is sort of taken out of the hands for for most coaches in the NFL. And, And so is recruiting not part of coaching um you know i mean it really is and and but 
yeah, I think you're right, Danny. Like it's if you can absolutely build a roster to to mask coaching deficiencies, but you know, coaching is recruiting too. So um, I don't know. I think I think from a from a scheme standpoint, it definitely would uh, you know, having never played in the NFL, but it definitely makes sense to me that that is sort of the ultimate measure of a coach. But from a total program management standpoint, NFL coaches, unless you're Bill Belichick or Bill O'Brien, who couldn't handle it. Uh, that you know they don't get the opportunity to really flex in the same way that college coaches do. I I do think it also depends on the level. Like I I think I don't think it's a coincidence that we see a lot of you know the uh, the new thinking kind of you know ahead of the trends coaches coming from the lower levels because at the lower levels you'll find teams you know you're not you're not able to recruit the top guys you're kind of just getting you know guys who are playing who are good enough they were good in high school but they're not good enough for d1 or you know fcs so you see these coaches that have rosters that aren't nearly as talented going up against other rosters that aren't nearly as talented and they've got to make up for some of those talent deficiencies by coming up with schemes and tricks and ways to get around it and then that's kind of where you see those things developing and i think that's why we see a lot of coaches come up from like division two to division three into fcs and then they go up from fcs into fbs and they become the hey Who's this hot young new coaching prospect that's 45 and been coaching for 20 years that we didn't know about? So I think that plays a role in it too. But I do think overall, yeah, there's probably a larger impact in the NFL, but I could also make the argument that the quarterback in the NFL has a larger impact than the coach because you could be a great coach on a good NFL team, but if your quarterback sucks, you're probably not going to win a whole lot no matter how, where, how much talent you have anywhere else. But you could also make that argument at the college level now too. How much player development happens at the NFL? Because when you, we talk about all the different jobs of what being like uh, a program manager, being able to recruit, being able to scheme with X's and O's, play calling, game planning. There's also just the like teaching of the game that I think still a lot of like very, very important teaching happens. And you know, some of that might be position. It's, you know, we're, this question might be thinking more about head coaches, but I guess just to expand it, like is being a a good teacher of the game and leading player development, does that even happen at the NFL level? Or are you just getting guys that like, if you're improving, it's because you're so driven as an individual to be great. You're almost seeking that out where the the teaching of a freshman or a sophomore and getting them ready such that they can be a starter and a contributor as a junior or senior, like whether that's happening at Alabama or whether that's happening, um, you know, at a group of five school or at FCS, it kind of feels like a huge part of what I look at and value in terms of being a great college coach. I think in college, there's a lot more of the fundamentals that are taught. And I'm talking about quarterback specifically, but I think any position across the field, there's some, you know, basic fundamentals that you are drilling all the time. You know, your footwork, uh, your hand placement, little, you know, pass rush techniques. And then once you jump to the next level, you don't spend as much time on those specifically. Yeah, there's some, but then it's on to the mental aspect. And I, I really believe like that's the biggest jump. It's not because when I was at Florida State, I was playing against Derek Brooks every day in practice. You know, Deion Sanders would come and train with us in the summer. So I was going against NFL talent almost all the time. So I was kind of used to it. The big jump for me was mentally. And it's sort of like, you know, if you have your, your bachelor's degree, it would be like going on, I would say your bachelor's degree, maybe high school, your master's degree is college. And then getting your doctorate is what it's like being in the NFL. And 
you know, getting more knowledge. And not only so, when I was in college, I knew the progressions of, all right, this is my number one, this is my number two, this is my number three, this is what I'm supposed to do if it's hot. You know, I knew where to go with the football. When you go to the NFL, it's more, okay, why are we calling this play? Oh, this is why we're trying to attack this defense. Um, so this, and then, uh-oh, this isn't the play that we wanted versus this defense. Now I need to get out of this play or, you know, or, or audible or change it or call timeout. Um, you get more into the, like I maybe recognized very basic three defenses in college. You know, you had cover two, cover three, and you had cover zero, you know, uh, a man coverage with the blitz, you know, maybe four coverages, very simplistic. You go to the NFL, you've got to learn, 15, 20 different defenses and the variations on three, whether it was three buzz, a three sky, like all the different terminology, all the subtle little variations that are going on in the defensive side of the ball. So you also have to remember too, and I know the 20 hour rule gets mocked like, oh, they don't really follow it. They kind of do like it's, it's, they do keep track of hours. You're not with the coaches all the time. Like you can't, when you get to the NFL, you're in the building at work from, 7 a.m. until 6 p.m. on some of your hardest work days. So it's, it's also the mental capacity. And you can't be on the field for 12 hours. You're only on the field for two in the weight room for an hour. So that leaves you six or seven hours to mentally, you know, gain that edge and study and figure out, you know, how to take your game to the next level. It's like explaining it. Like if, yeah. if you're an NFL coach, the player development part is being able to teach and explain in less time. Why like, you're doing things yeah. and buying, getting the players to buy in on the why, because they do ask more questions and they'll see right through it. We had a quick story. We had a guy named Larry McDuff. This is the difference in um, the motivational tactics. Because I, I do believe like you see guys that are real rah-rah guys in college and it can work. You can get players to get amped up. You know, we always talk about a sleepy Saturday, a noon kickoff. The NFL is completely different. Like you come in there, if you're a rah-rah fiery guy, we had a guy named Larry McDuff, who my second year in uh, the NFL, we changed coaching staffs and it was Jim Fossil. Went from Dan Reeves to Jim Fossil. And the special teams coordinator was a guy named Larry McDuff. Nicest guy in the world. I'll never forget his first special teams meeting. First of all, he wanted everybody there. So I was a little bit irritated because as a holder, I'm like, I don't really need to be like sitting through the kickoff return meetings and the punt return and pump block. So, and I did get it adjusted later. I got out of those, but I remember sitting in there and he was after he had this thing where he wanted like three claps. He was like, all right, you know, we're going to do this. And he would give me three claps. And like the first time, the look around the room's like, is he serious? Like, does he really want? And he really wanted him to do it. And I like, he almost lost the entire team in that first meeting because he was saying this cheesy, corny, give me three claps, guys. And everybody was like, oh. And then he like tried. It was kind of like when you're in an awkward corporate meeting and somebody's like, good morning, everybody. And everybody's like, oh, we got to do this. Like, we're doing this thing. And again, I didn't hear you. (laughs) That's what he was doing. And it quickly lost the room. Nicest guy. He's actually still called. I Googled it today. He's uh, coaching the San Diego fleet or he was in 2019, but he bounced around the NFL and college football, but he was most like the college mindset is so different. It is more business-like it's corporate. It's we're going to work. Don't tell me what I need to do. Tell me why I'm doing it. Don't be coming in here asking me to clap in meetings. Just tell me what I need to do. And pay me my money. Yeah, love it. Most uh, importantly, is it Tuesday? Because I'll clap if it's Tuesday and I can get my check. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Next question comes from uh, B 
S-V-Z. Hey guys, big fan of the show. My question lies in the divide that exists in college football. Obviously, there's a divide when you look at the Power Five and the non-Power Five teams. But in the last eight years, as Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Alabama have cemented themselves as the top four, it seems there is a divide within the Power Five teams on their own. My question is... As a fan of an average Big Ten school who has no chance at the playoff, capital N-O, no chance at the playoff, do you think, do you see this shifting in the next 10 years or will the Ro- will a Rose Bowl appearance be my national championship? How would this ever change? Is this good for college football? Oh, his name's Ben. Thanks, Ben. I, I could be 100% wrong here, but I don't think anything has changed. I think that that's always been that case where you go into a season, there's very few programs in the country that have always been capable of winning a national title. If you go through like, and look at national champions in college football history, it's not like there's a hundred different teams in there. There's like 20 different teams that you see over and over throughout history. And there's ebbs and flows as far as when those programs are on top and maybe when they take a step back before climbing back up to the top. But I feel like the separation between the power five and the group of five is more of a financial one than it is a competitive one. I think that they get, they get more money because of their TV deals, because they're more popular because they have larger alumni bases and all that kind of stuff. So that helps separate them from there. But in every single power five conference, I mean, we talk about it practically on a weekly basis here. There's always been a gap in each power five conference between the teams that are capable of winning it and the teams that are just in the conference. So yeah, I would say depending on which average big 10 team you are, unless to, unless you get the right coach and the right things keep going and you know, everything comes, you get like the perfect storm going. Yeah. Maybe a Rose bowl is probably your college football playoff. And I think that's always going to be the case. So I, yeah, I mean the, the, what's the guy's name, Dan, Ben, 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 I think Ben's right. Um, But here's the thing. And like with the, and this is going to start off an argument with Danny, I think, but the name image and likeness stuff, right is like that's passing and i know that they've they've written up the legislation and the rules to try to um exclude and and limit any ability to sort of pay for a recruit but ultimately if you actually wanted schools to be able to sort of level up into stratospheres that they aren't built for that they don't have the history for the financial basis for uh whatever then a way for that to be possible, which I do think would be good for college football, is to have, you know what? I'm, um, I'm at Michigan State, and uh, in East Lansing, there is this quarterback that's the best thing you've ever seen, and he's going to go to Alabama or Ohio State or USC, but I, I own East Lansing Toyota, and I'm going to pay him a million dollars. That's not, you know what? I'm just going to pay a million dollars. Say, come on to our school, come to Michigan State. I'm going to pay you a million dollars and, you know, stay for three years. And, you know what? Like, I think Clemson would have eventually leveled up under Dabo Sweeney. But the reason Clemson leveled up is because of Deshaun Watson. The reason they leveled up is because Deshaun Watson was followed by Trevor Lawrence. The reason that they're going to stay leveled up is Trevor Lawrence followed by DJ Uyangalele. So the, these guys have allowed Clemson to become a blue blood. And so I think like, I, like there is no victim in players getting paid to go to school. There is, there, there is no victim there. So just allow 
schools to pay these guys if they want to. And then, you know what? Who knows? Like, maybe we might shake up the landscape a little bit. Obviously, the highest bidders are typically going to be the schools that are already the, the, have the most resources and are already playing for the national championships. But I do think that if someone gets a wild hair, if someone finds the right player, if someone has the right in and the right financial resources or, or the right fanatical alumni, hey, they might be able to uh, manufacture a level up in a way that the current system doesn't allow. So there's a little bit of a rant. Uh, uh, Danny, pick it apart if you want. No, so I think you might be surprised. Um, I get pegged as something some certain times. I used to be, <laughs> I used to be hardcore, don't pay the players. And I still don't want the players to be employees. I think the name, image, and likeness is the perfect compromise. Uh, I'm, I'm 100% uh, in favor of it, in a large part to preserve what we do have. And it is a flawed system without question. But I actually think there's a lot of opportunity that's given, the opportunity that's provided. And I think it's a pretty good deal for 98% of the players. For the 2% that is not, like, why are we holding them back? Like, why wouldn't we allow them to get paid if there is a booster, a business, whatever wants to pay them? So I am all in favor of the name, image, and likeness uh, taking place. And I do think it could present some opportunity for a Michigan State, but even more so, you know, maybe it's a really obscure school. Um, well, isn't, isn't SMU a, the example when yeah, SMU absolutely. had the, the payroll? Yep, yep, for sure. And, that, and they had enough. I don't want it to come from the schools. I don't want it to come from a mandate where you have to pay them because then I think it impacts all of college sports. And I do even think it impacts football at some schools who might be like, you know what? It's not worth it. We're not going to, we're going to shut down our football program. You know, it's, we're going to lose money on that. Not a lot, but I think it would weed out a lot of schools that potentially have football program to the original question from Ben. I just looked this up that the and Tom alluded to this. It's always been there. Like I, I just pulled up 1970, 1980 and 1990 final college football rankings, 1970, Ohio state was one. Texas was two. USC was three. Now every year you get some, you know, mm -hmm. some teams that crop up. This year, Arkansas was four, Ole Miss was five, Notre Dame six, Penn State. Like it's all the same brands. 1980, Ohio State happened to be number one again. Bama, Pitt, you know, outlier year was three. USC, Oklahoma, those are your top five. 1990, uh, Miami comes into play. Notre Dame, Auburn, Florida State, Michigan. Like it's still always, and it's probably a cycle of about 20 to 25 teams. Maybe there's a team. It's typically at 40-ish. They get hot. They get a quarterback like a Dan Marino. Somebody, you know, somebody comes through and it lifts that program up. For the most part, it's always going to be those same teams. And I get the frustration. I thought last year was awesome because we did get a new player in LSU, even though we still had Clemson. We still had Oklahoma again. It's like, all right, we're in Ohio State again. I get the frustration. I think it would be better to have more teams. That's why I'm a big pro expansion. But even if you expand to eight, Guess who's probably going to be left standing in the final four or the final two? Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. Um, maybe they get knocked off, but I do think it would be exciting and bring in the Pac-12 if you had that. But ultimately, it's probably always going to be the same 20 to 25 programs. And yes, you have times when USC is down, Florida State is down, Texas is down. But for the most part, it's going to be just a rolling rotation of those teams. And I'll, I'll, Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll pick apart your argument a little bit, Barton. If you want someone Ooh. to, yeah, 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 bring it on. I'm all for the everything. I, I, I want them to get anything they can get. I just don't think it'll change anything because, like, using your example, you know, 
if a booster in East Lansing who owns a car dealership gives a, a kid a million dollars to play at Michigan State, what's going to convince him to keep giving new kids a million dollars? Because as far as I could tell, he's not getting anything back on that investment. He just gets, oh boy, Michigan State won something. So it's like, that's, I, that's I my mean, guy. Unless, unless he's like a like an eccentric billionaire with a whole lot of money to waste. I just don't see that being able for sustained success. I think it could lead to an outlier of building up for a few years, but then also with your Clemson example, like I mentioned, like the ebbs and flows. Yes. Deshaun Watson was a huge reason for why Clemson became what it became. And it's helped bring in other guys after, but another huge reason why Clemson has become what it's become is the ebbs and flows. Florida state has trended down. I don't think if Florida state, doesn't go down that Clemson's able to go up as much as it has. I think if it had more of a competitor in the ACC alongside it, Clemson might not be the absolute juggernaut it is right now. So I think that all that stuff comes into play. Yeah. Ebbs and flows, but it's the same teams over and over. Yeah. I think for my, my East Lansing car dealership example, I agree. I do not think that that will be a regular occurrence where guys are shelling out a million dollars for prospects. My, my, my point in saying that was if, if, if you got literally Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence, 10 years ago, doesn't typically go to Clemson. So let's just pretend that Deshaun Watson didn't happen. Um, let's just go back to Deshaun Watson, whatever. He was the all-time leading passer in the state of Georgia. Um, he goes to Clemson, and I, I think that that was a stimulant to Clemson becoming a national power. I think that that's, a, I think that's obvious that that, that that was the case. Now, whether they would get there without him, it, you could you can make an argument both ways, but Maybe they would have. Maybe it just would have taken longer. But if you can, if, the, if Deshaun Watson is headed to Georgia or Alabama and a booster just says, you know what, this is, I'm not going to make this a normal occurrence, but this, I, I, I live in Gainesville, Georgia. I've seen this guy play. This guy's phenomenal. Like, I, like, I, this is, I'm 72 years old. Uh, Clemson's been the, the, you know, they've been second rate in the ACC for too long. This is my chance. Like, hey, Deshaun, I know your family. Here, go to Clemson. I'll take care of you guys. Here's 500 grand. Like, I just think that that's not that, – that isn't a, a hard scenario for me to envision. And now, look, that's going to happen sometimes, and Deshaun Watson doesn't turn out to be Deshaun Watson, and then that's a waste of 500 grand. And that's why I don't think that that's going to happen a lot. But, again – if someone hits it right, if someone's supposed, if someone just makes that decision and it turns out being correct, if someone says, you know what, I'm going to go get uh, Eric Dickerson and Craig James and get them on the same roster and just try to make this work. I, I just think there's a couple instances where that could hit right. The roster could build up, you get some momentum and all of a sudden you're off and away. It's a theory. Um, but I, I think it would be, a, I think it would be more good for college football and the competitive dynamic than not. You know what else I think comes into play, and I think this is uh, one of the benefits of it too. First of all, I don't think the money will be as big as people think. Like I, you know, I've talked to some. There's college, a lot of boogeyman that's like I, trying I to make everybody I, I scared. Like, that. Yeah. I, and I, I hear a lot of you know players saying, "Man, we're going to get paid," and they're rolling in dough. I don't think that'll be the case. I think, but again, like four or five hundred bucks, that would have been lottery for me in college. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I came from a pretty nice place. Like if I just didn't have access to cash, like that's awesome. When I was in the NFL, we used to get 500 bucks, go play in charity basketball games, risking our ACLs, be like, yeah, it's 500 <laughs> cash, sign me up. So I think, you know, any amount of money is good. And I think that's more the likely scenario is that there's, couple thousand bucks here at a signing, you know, a couple thousand bucks for a car dealership to go greet some people, which is great. But I also think there's also not only buying players, 
But I think what you could see come into play is players making better decisions about when to go pro. Because yes, there's a lot of guys that go early and they get drafted and never look back. But have you ever checked the numbers of how many guys declare for the draft and how many don't get drafted? Like, And it's because they literally have to do it for the money. And they were big time, big guys on campus in Tuscaloosa, in uh, Clemson, in uh, Tallahassee, where there, maybe they could make an extra 25 or 50 grand, which isn't as much as they'd get as a rookie in the NFL, but it is as much as they'd make if they didn't get drafted and were an undrafted free agent. And it might get them to stick around for one more year, might get them to get their degree, allows them to send some money home, like it provides some opportunity there. So I think like the big deals won't be in place as much as people think, but I think overall it can be a really beneficial thing for a number of different reasons. And the last piece of Ben's question, uh, I do want to point out, he said, will a Rose Bowl appearance be my national championship? Yes. And it will be awesome. And you and your family members and your alumni and your classmates will talk about it for decades. I know ECU alums who talk about the 1991 Peach Bowl win against NC State like it was a national championship. They finished 11-1, top 10 in the polls, and it is a national championship for the ECU football program. And it was the Peach Bowl. It was a game that an SE... that like the uh, a third ranked uh, ACC or SEC team lands in, but that's just I mean that you should still celebrate it like it is a national championship if you make it to the Rose Bowl, and that's okay. Yeah, I'm like, dying to know who Ben's school is. <laughs> like, is it Purdue? Is it Illinois? Is it, <laughs> right? Is it Illinois? <laughs> Looks, I was gonna say because when I was in Champaign, Illinois went to the Sugar Bowl, and you know that was amazing. Like, I know the Rose Bowl now that they went to in 2007 is the bigger deal. But for us at the time, I mean, they got waxed by LSU. They came back late to make that game look closer than it was. But they went 10 and 1 that season. Kurt Kittner, their only loss was at road, on the road to Michigan. And then they went to the Sugar Bowl and played LSU. And to go to that as a fan of a program that's not supposed to be in that situation, that to me was just as good as winning a national title. Wake Forest going to the Orange Bowl in 2006 was the largest collection of Wake Forest alumni in one place ever. It's There were more people at the Orange Bowl than there were enrolled in Wake Forest at the time. <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right, coming up on the other side, we start taking a look at the Oregon Ducks. We got Pac-12 win totals coming up uh, on the next week, but uh, a specific question targets that, plus an LSU wide receiver who might not be getting enough love, uh, a question about Kirby Smart, which, yes, of course, sign us up, and uh, much, much more next The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. 
Feeling confident in your clothes helps you go after your goals and and it can really impact your everyday. And one of the things that uh, can give you some confidence in your clothes is knowing that you're never going to be out of place, that you're going to have the kind of outfits that can take you uh, from the most casual setting to the the most fancy uh, work or social event. And one of the places where you can get that is with some of the new items available at Express. Express has a comfort on a focus on comfort and versatility and it's because they want to allow you to have one outfit that'll work everywhere. I mean, it's going to feel as comfortable as your favorite sweats, but it's going to have a flattering fit. It does have extra stretch, but it doesn't look like you're being a slob. And so that allows you to be able to carry it all through your day. It allows you to have the kind of confidence that you are looking right for what you need to do it's got wrinkle resistant fabric. It's great for traveling. You know, if you need to go uh, travel somewhere, be able to, as soon as you land, go right into an event. Well, guess what? Express has the perfect clothes for that. Extra stretch for all day comfort. Uh, it can work in all kinds of occasions and you can start putting together some express outfits in your wardrobe by texting football to 397737. You'll receive $25 off a $50 purchase. Again, text football to 397737. You receive $25 off a $50 purchase. I'm telling you, this is the real key uh, to an on-the-go lifestyle and so that you can have confidence that you're not looking wrinkled, that you're not looking slobby, but that you are comfortable enough to be able to go and accomplish everything you need to do in all kinds of settings in an entire day. Again, text FOOTBALL to 397-737 to receive $25 off your $50 purchase. All right. Next question. Is it time for, uh, yeah. Mario Cristobal time, baby. (laughs) Uh, Question from Jay Grandison. We'll call him John or Jack, whatever y'all want. Jay Grandison asks, I believe that Oregon in the next two to three years has a real chance to become a tier one program, parentheses, Clemson, Ohio State, Bama, Georgia. What exactly could be the downfall of this program? The signs that I see. Recruiting classes getting better each year since Cristobal was promoted to head coach. Great all-around coaching staff that is continually getting better. Uh, Moorhead, Avalos, uh, good position coaches. A Pac-12 where a lot of programs aren't willing to recruit like Cristobal. Great strength and conditioning program. What sign am I missing that will keep this team out of the elite group of programs? Martin. <laughs> I'm trying to think through this. I'm trying to see if there's if, if what, how I can pick this apart. Quarterback. Uh, you were just talking before the break about the importance of the quarterback, and we're going into this season where so many pieces are in place for Oregon to compete against some of the best teams in the country, where I'm going to come out on this win total, and we're going to be talking about, like, oh, is Oregon going to be able to crash the playoff? And, and ultimately, we're talking about Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown. And I just, I don't think either one of those are uh, fighter pilots. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I mean, Tyler Shuck could, like, we don't know uh, yet. I think the thing that's, I guess the question I would have is, and I don't think it's, I don't think this is the year that they make that. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't think the, the um, commenter was saying this is the J. I don't think Jay was saying that this was the year necessarily, but they were on, 
uh, on pace. And I, I probably agree with that. I just think, the, I guess my only critique of that hypothesis is just the idea that it's, it's really hard to get into that tier. Like you can't just sort of check all the boxes and still get there by the, just because there's not an obvious flaw. Just getting into that group is, is, I mean, there's a reason there's only like three teams in it. Um, and so I do think it's really encouraging the, the direction things are heading in Oregon, particularly as it relates to recruiting and as recruiting relates to the rest of the conference and the recruiting approach in terms of what they're doing and they're getting talent in the trenches and they're being able to recruit nationally. Um, so I think all that's important. I think the Mario, the um, Joe Moorhead hire is important because they, and, and, and I don't watch much NFL cause I don't have time to, I would, I wish I could, but I don't. And all I'm, all I'm hearing and seeing on Twitter is that Justin Herbert is the next uh, great quarterback in the NFL. And that's not the Justin Herbert I saw in college. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> what is missing there? Um, you know, the, 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 the head coach, uh, the, the offensive coordinator. Now the offensive coordinator is gone. He's at UNLV as a head coach now. Um, and the new offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, might be a stud. Um, probably is. I think Joe Moorhead is really good. Uh, but let's see what happens because I, I think that's a good – I think that's fair, Chip. Like, we got we to make sure the offensive coordinator and the quarterback are elite. And they got to find some receivers because that's been an issue there too over the last couple of years because we keep on – like, that's the new – that's the new talking point now. It's less trenches, more receivers and skill. And Oregon has got a great group of skill players in the back end, but they don't have the receivers yet. Not proven. They haven't shown that to this point. So I'm anxious to see what happens there. I do think Andy Avalos is, is big time, uh, and, and I think that defense is in really good hands there. He'll get a head coaching job eventually. You know, Maybe if Brian Harson leaves Boise State, he's the next up there. But uh, for now, I think they're in a really good position it's just really hard to to crest that tier of of number one seeds. And I'm I'm happy you brought that up because it's like I feel like they've got a lot going in the right direction, but there is like I don't know if you want to call it mindset or what, but it's strange to me that Justin Herbert is getting more freedom to play quarterback as a rookie in the NFL than he did as a junior or an upperclassman at Oregon. It's like the coaches in the NFL are letting this kid just go out and do what he can do. And he's slinging the ball over the field with a rocket arm. Whereas in Oregon, I felt like they were always like, kind of like handcuffs on him. It's like, no, 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 don't do too much. Cause and he would make mistakes. And I just think that, yeah, I think that plays a part in it too. At some point you could build your program. You can get everything you want. You can get the talent in, but at some point you got to trust that talent to be the talent. And I wonder if maybe there's been a lack of a willingness to do that so far. Also, Barton, you said you don't watch the NFL, but man, uh, I, I, I will say I was here. Um, I don't know if anybody else on this podcast was, but when Justin Herbert got the starting job, there was some of us that were licking our chops like, oh boy, oh, yeah. let's fade Justin Herbert. This is not going to go well. I saw Justin Herbert and uh, it much like my decision to jump on the other side of Boston College. It is among my great regrets of uh, the past several weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I tried to fade him just this last week. I was like, man, you can't. Can't, can't be keep a seven it going. And a half point can't favorite, Justin Herbert. You can't. No, no, no. He's gonna throw. He's gonna throw a really bad pick. Gonna get that back door. Uh, no, nope, didn't care. Didn't matter. Just 
blew Jacksonville up. Yeah, he's he's balling. What can I say? Uh, all right, speaking of wide receivers, this question from I love ish. I love ish. Let's call him love. Huge, huge, huge fan of the show. Without question, my favorite podcast. Thank you. Uh, My first question, is Terrace Marshall the best receiver in the country? If not, who would you rank above him? And and to add to that, if Jamar Chase would have played this year, how big of a difference would he have made to the season up to this point? And finally, had Chase played, could you make the case that this receiving core is better than the 2019 group? I feel that with Marshall's production increase, he has the potential to have better numbers than Justin Jefferson. And from an athleticism standpoint, I would take Gilbert over Moss. I'm excited to hear all your views on this. Also, Barton, if you're still taking music suggestions, I'm a huge fan of Lil Peep. I am sure it's nowhere near your kind of music that you typically listen to, but his sound is so unique and unlike any artist I've ever heard. I appreciate all the hard work you guys do and go Tigers. Is Lil Peep hip hop rap, do we think? Yes. Yes. Why, why Why do people assume I don't like hip hop rap? That's like the second music comment I've gotten where it's like, oh, like everyone thinks I'm like a super, super white guy, huh? I, you went I, to Yale. You live in Nashville. Yeah, I, I get that it. Is, that is probably my favorite genre of music. So I've been <laughs> weeding through all this jam band rock that everyone else has given me. And finally, someone gives me a little bit of a hip hop wreck. Yeah, I'm going to give a little peep a try. It, um, my guy, Adam Gold, was like, is, uh, is Barton hating on Steely Dan right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just, you know, we, we, we see the stats and it's someone's like, you know what? He would, he would like some really, you know, high quality audio file, you know, jazz rock fusion. Oh, who I would? Did, we, we did get multiple jazz wrecks and I actually appreciate all that. I have a very eclectic taste in music as I think both of you guys. So yeah. bring it on. Like I, I, there's no genre that I'm ruling out with the one exception. I actually, I don't like jam band. I do not like noodle rock. I don't, if it's just going to be like endless, un, like no, no direction uh, guitar riffs for me to like wiggle around to, like that's not really my thing. You know, it, you. no judgment, no judgment. Freaking, if it is. freaking uh, love noodle rock. Love noodle rock. About, here's the thing about jam bands. Like rock, rap, whatever, any kind of music I can enjoy straight sober. And I can enjoy it just as much when I'm stoned or high or drunk or anything jam music. You, if you ever try to listen to that while you're not high, it is just the most pointless shit you've ever listened to in your life. If you sit there and wonder like, what the hell am I doing with my life right now? When you're stoned. Yeah, man, this is, Oh, (laughs) oh, I don't know. Oh, 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 where's it going now? But yeah, no, it's, it's crap. It's the it's the sound of a house party or you're going to see your friend play at like the local pub in for in my mind, like uh, my wife calls it brought noodle music. And it always used to be that like around the the Christmas or the Thanksgiving weekend, you know, a bunch of old like high school friends would get together and like we're only going to play four shows a year. But she's like, uh, is it just going to be brought noodle music? Like, are they just going to play six songs for two hours? Yeah, yeah. probably. Jam, <laughs> like, jam bands are what happened when you get instruments and you learn how to play them, but you never learn how to write a song. Right. Yeah. And you're only going to play four yeah. times a year. So, yeah. 
if I'm just sitting there like having a beer, talking to my buddy while like our like kind of like acquaintance is up there like rocking out on the guitar, then I can like live with it. Oh yeah, he's pretty good at the old guitar. Yeah. But if I have to sit down and listen to it, I'm not feeling it. So <laughs> I say that to say, let's talk about Terrace Marshall and LSU's yeah. wide receivers. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. There was a question. Uh, so I at the wide receiver, first of all, <clears throat> Jamar Chase, he is the best wide receiver in college football, would have been the best wide receiver in college football. Would he make a difference with LSU? I don't know. Does LSU's offense need that much of a boost? The offense has been really pretty good. They've been just fine. Maybe he, maybe another play or two in the Mississippi State game might have helped them steal a win. But, I mean, hell, they put up 41 in the, the loss of Missouri. I don't, I don't know how much more you want out of the offense. Um, but sure, I mean, he would he would matter. I still think the best wide receiver in college football is Devontae Smith. I I just I've got a really avid appreciation of Devontae Smith's game. The way he approaches it, the the details to it. He's a big play guy, but he makes every little minutiae. Uh, count within that position. And so I think he's the most trustworthy receiver in the game. He still has big play potential. Uh, and you're going to get a very complete skill set out of him, whether it's blocking on the perimeter, whether it's catching in traffic, whether it's running by people, whether it's just getting off the line of scrimmage, whatever it is, Devontae Smith has it. So that's my guy. But Terrace Marshall is, uh, is having a monster season for sure. Yeah, I, I like Terrace Marshall a lot. I don't think he's the best receiver in college. I'm with you. I think if we're sticking to players who are still playing, I mean, Jalen Waddle's out for the year. Jamar Chase is not opting out. Rondale Moore, I'm not sure what's going on with him. So I would go with Devontae as well as the best receiver. But I also think guys like Jonathan Adams at Arkansas State is an absolute monster. He just is doing it at Arkansas State, so he doesn't get as much attention for it. But my problem with Terrace Marshall is, because I was looking it up just to confirm, he drops too many passes. Like he's had he's had five drops already this year in four games. And the thing is, I'm looking it up on our looking it up. He's got five drops on 37 targets. There are only three players in the country that have dropped more balls. Jordan Addison at uh, Pitt, Rasheed Rice at SMU and Seth Williams at Auburn. The difference is while Marshall's dropped five on 37 targets, Addison's dropped eight on 66. Rice has dropped six on 51 and Williams has dropped six on 59. So Marshall's pretty much right up there with them in drops on far fewer targets. So he's got to work on the hands, man. Cause he's got, it, it, he's got, he makes the big plays. He's having a very good season, even with the drops. But if he works on that, then yeah, he can enter the conversation of being the best receiver in the country. As our resident ACC softy, it is amazing how often Jordan Addison has to get targeted in these pit games in terms of like usage and in term <clears throat> like there's no question uh, when he showed up that it was like Barton when you teased him going into the season as a, a guy that was creating buzz. You know, I thought I've thought flash, right? You know, I thought it was like, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was like, no. There's like no question. This guy is the best player, and Mark Whipple is going to do everything possible to get him the ball as often as possible. Yeah, and he's tied for fourth in the country in targets. He's their only playmaker right now yeah. on offense. DJ it's Turner's like, all right. They got DJ. DJ yeah. Turner's okay, but they don't have much of a run game. And uh, yeah, we've 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 given Pitt some uh, so, some time already. 
All right. I will say that it'll be interesting to see whether any of these Ohio State receivers, particularly Olave and, and Garrett Wilson, start to emerge as um, you know best in the country type I, yeah. of guys. I think Garrett Wilson could be an absolute monster by the time he's done. By the time he's done this season or by the time he leaves Ohio State? Sophomore right now. Maybe by the end of the season, but by the time he leaves Ohio State, I think he could be like the guy you're talking about as the number one receiver in his draft class. Because he makes even the bad Justin Fields throws turn into receptions. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Speaking of wide receivers, Mike asks, if you gave Notre Dame Alabama's wide receivers, would you pick him to beat Clemson? Not quarterback just the wide receivers is, is Jalen Waddle's ankle healed my answer is no because I, I I think that is it still Ian book I yeah yeah uh I, I would say operate under the assumption Jalen Waddle's ankle isn't healed because it's uh Alabama can't have Jalen Waddle anymore so let's just assume they don't so they get John Mechie Devontae Smith um Slade Bolden. Bolden um yeah that's their group I think the answer is the same either way. I think either with or without Waddle, I think that it makes Notre Dame much more competitive with Clemson. But I don't think wide receivers alone are the difference between Clemson and Notre Dame. And I think we all know what the difference is. Yeah, that's a fun question. I like that question. Yeah, I do like so, the question. So, right. So you still are, it's still an Ian Book versus Trevor Lawrence game. Um. So I think Clemson still wins, you know, like in a series of 10, Clemson is going to win more than five. Um, but I do think that that would substantively increase Notre Dame's chances of winning. You know, if they're going to win two, if they're going to win one out of 10 or two out of 10 without those receivers, then I think you can, I think maybe they win three to four out of 10 with them is that would you all agree with that yeah and another way i think we could look at this too is it might not make them better than clemson but i think if you take alabama's receivers right now and you put them on notre dame notre dame's a playoff team mm -hmm. doesn't mean i think it's going to win the national title but i think it's definitely good enough to get to the playoff even if it doesn't win the acc here's another way of framing it then so if you put notre dame's receivers on alabama how much does that affect Alabama's out a lot massive a lot yeah I mean Notre Dame's got some big giant tight end dudes that would be useful it's just I think that would very much it like it does Notre Dame's offense I think it would limit the ceiling of what they can do like I don't think I don't think Mac Jones is so talented a guy that he'd be able to turn those guys into elite receivers and they'd have elite passing game I think Mac Jones would suffer and I think Ian Book suffers a lot from what they have at the receiver position so yeah, I think it would hurt. I think if Alabama had Notre Dame's wide receivers, I wouldn't be ruling them out for the playoffs, but mm -hmm. I would be ruling them out for a national championship. I think. Yep. I think we'd just be would. handing Clemson the trophy right to hell now. If or Ohio State <laughs> or Ohio State, Ohio State. Yeah. So I keep forgetting that the Big Ten started. Right, <laughs> right now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Clemson Notre Dame. If it was a neutral field, it's like a 10, 11 point spread. The fact that it's in South Bend, it might catch that nine and a half or so. I think if Notre Dame has Alabama's wide receivers, we're talking one touchdown. I think Clemson is still favored in the game, but I think they're favored by one touchdown. Yeah, I'd say five and a half to six and a half. Yeah. 
something you know, like it's that. gonna be it'll be really in so this weekend Notre Dame plays Georgia Tech, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um have y'all noticed that the like Brian Kelly and the players even are are basically admitting that you know in the in the lead up to Pitts and this week in the lead up to Georgia Tech that yes, like we are looking ahead to to Clemson. I like it. Like they've said it in in I, I don't know if it's been that explicit, but they're basically like, Yeah, we look, we know that game's ahead. We know that game's coming. Um in some ways the acknowledgement of that is encouraging to me uh, for Notre Dame, but, but at the same time, it will be interesting to see if that has a positive or negative impact on this weekend's performance against Georgia tech. But uh, the, if that was the the, theme of preparing for Pitt, I mean, then it was a motivating factor. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. 45 to freaking three. Okay. Uh, Favorite questions for your favorite Georgia podcast from Chris. Hey guys, love the pod. Question for you guys. After every loss, Kirby Smart has, parentheses, not many of them, the critics in the media and rival fans get together to laugh and point and criticize Kirby. Usually points out how he's overrated, not a good game day coach, and whatever else they come up with. My question is this. There are 130 FBS teams in college football. How many fan bases and even administrators, if given the chance, would trade their coach for Kirby and the success UGA has had the last four years? I guess the better and easier way to actually ask is how many wouldn't trade for Kirby and the success he's had the last four years? We all know Bama, Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson definitely wouldn't right now. Is the only Are those the only ones, in your opinion? I think a case maybe could be made for Oregon fans or administrators wouldn't trade Mario either. Curious to hear y'all go through the top teams in each conference and discuss who would not trade for Kirby. Trade for Kirby or trade for Kirby's results the past three years? I think that it's you get the you get to like go back to the beginning and so you get uh sec championship you get a college football playoff appearance rose bowl win national championship game loss and you get the sec championship game loss since. and do i get the recruiting rankings yeah i think so then damn near everybody would trade for kirby <laughs> except for clemson and notre dame i think are fine i think if we go to the big 12 everybody but oklahoma would probably strongly consider it I think if we go in the Big Ten, everybody but Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan would strongly consider it. I think of the Pac-12, I think, yeah, I think Oregon's the only one that wouldn't strongly consider it, and they even might consider it a little bit. And then in the SEC, everybody but Alabama and Florida, probably. Yeah, he mentioned LSU, and I think LSU would take Kirby. No, uh, no I think I know anyway, unless I'm misunderstanding the question, unless I'm misunderstanding the question, because you would be risking like LSU, you got a bird in the hand. Like you had, Oh, you got the national championship. Yeah. You've got the national season. Title. Like yeah. you'll take that above any potential mm-hmm. of that's to come. Like, I think that like Ed O got you that at the least. That's fair. I agree. Yeah, no, LSU definitely, I don't think it's trading for Kirby. I'm just trying to figure out if A&M would because they're very much financially committed to Jimbo. Hey, careful, A&M's mad at us. A&M fans oh, are, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're rising up on the, uh, the cover three hate list. But, yeah. like, if you're Texas A&M, though, isn't what Kirby's done what you wouldn't got Jimbo for? Yeah. 
So, I mean, maybe except Tebow for does it. except for beating Bama. Yeah, but I'm saying it's like everything that you know he's is kind of what you were hoping for, except for the beating Bama. So I think that if you're Texas A&M, you would consider it, yes, because at least Georgia has gotten to the SEC championship. At least Georgia has gotten to the playoff and played for a national title. Texas A&M hasn't done any of that. So I think that they would consider it. I don't think that it's a slam dunk. Oh, yeah, they have to. But I think that it would be you'd be idiotic not to think about it. Do you think you you, you said Notre Dame wouldn't? Um, how accurate do you think that is? Like, do you think Notre Dame is like sort of they've accepted? Hey, we are what we are. Like, we we've got some. Uh, we're we're an academic institution. We've got some recruiting limitations. We 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 need to build around that sort of reputation. And we're not going to be national title contenders every year, but we need to have a chance. And, and so a guy like Brian Kelly, who embraces who we are, is fine. Uh, he's getting us close enough. Or are they like, you know what, we need, a, we need a killer. We need Kirby Smart to get us number one recruiting classes. And, you know, hey, like if we end up on probation a couple of years, not that Kirby's <laughs> cheating, I'm just saying, like, whatever it takes, is, is that the mentality that Notre Dame fans would, would prefer? I, I, I think, don't know. I think that Notre Dame would love to have the recruiting rankings if they could get it. I just think that, you know, Brian Kelly, they played for a national title in 2012. They made the playoff a couple of years ago. They might make the playoff again this year. I think that Notre Dame is at that place right now with Brian Kelly where things are running very well. And they are a playoff contender. Now, yes, they would like to become a national title contender, but Georgia's still, you know, it's it's a national title contender, but it's still looking to get over that hump itself. So I don't think Georgia and Notre Dame are in like they're not they're not in the same spot, but they live in the same subdivision, if you feel what I'm saying. Well, I mean, we saw that head to head in the last couple of years, played a couple classics. Yeah. They're not that dissimilar from each other competitively. Yeah, they're not they're not going out and hanging out together, but they live in the same neighborhood. If Notre Dame, if you if you like even though I would I, I I probably would acknowledge that there is not a significant talent bump, but I think I think Georgia, based on their recruiting, is is slightly more talented than Notre Dame. But I think if you Transport Notre Dame, lift it up, put it in the SEC, put it, pick up Georgia, put it in onto Notre Dame's schedule. I don't. I'm not convinced that Notre Dame would be all that different from a from just a record success standpoint um, than than Georgia. Are you guys like if this feels like as healthy as Notre Dame has been in a pro as a program yeah. in a long, long time? Yeah, no. This is this is the best that Notre Dame has been since you know the end of the Holt era. So- but I would say that Notre Dame, all right, so the as healthy as it's been, agree, cultural fit, Brian Kelly seems to get what they want and what they want to be. You'd mentioned Michigan wouldn't trade. That seems to be more cultural fit with less evidence yeah. that it's as healthy of a program as it's been in a while. Well, I guess healthy is a good a good line for for Michigan, but maybe it's just not the uh Michigan doesn't have the success of Notre Dame. But you would still think Michigan doesn't trade Jim Harbaugh for Kirby Smart. No. I don't. We, we've talked about it. I think that Michigan wants to do things their way. That's really all it comes down to. And Jim Harbaugh is doing things the way that they want them to be done. Everything is... Uh, the, every- now that said, they would still like to beat Ohio State. They would still <laughs> right. like to win the Big Ten. They would still like to get to a college football playoff. But I don't think they have any problems with the way Harbaugh is running things. Uh, and finally, this question from Ryan. 
When are we going to get our first 2v2 lock war? Well, we're not going to set it up. He's guessing. It'll happen eventually. He's guessing Danny and Barton on the over and Chip and Tom on the under in a Big Ten game. I can feel it coming. Hope you have the sounder ready, Chip Patterson. You know, there is a line this weekend of what is what is uh is it UCF Houston? Yeah, we're up at 82, yeah. 81 and a half. It was up there last I checked. I know Danny's been <laughs> tracking it. Pretty tasty. Yeah, that's because that's did we announce that on the podcast? I thought I thought we talked about it, but that's what a two v two is, right? Like if we've got lock agreement, lock unity, lock infinity, and lock fights. Lock fights could be one versus one, two v one. But if we go full two v two, that is a lock war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Time- I think you're. I think he's on it in terms of what the lock war would probably be. <laughs> He's either yeah, because it's Big Ten would be one, but the eight anything in an eighty is a little bit of a principles. Like people are just signing up for the ride at that point. We just want to fight. Yeah, weird way to end the show, but uh, uh, thanks again. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Thanks so much for bearing with us, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.